Welcome to Ivy League Murders. On this podcast, we focus on cases affiliated with the Ivy League, exploring the darker side of higher education. What happens when genius becomes evil? My name is Sarah Alcorn. I'm a Harvard graduate, and I've been a private investigator since 1999. Join me and longtime crime diva, Laura McDonald, for Ivy League Murders. Welcome to Sports Talk with R and J. I am Steve Risser along here with Justin D'Onofrio. And the Tampa Bay Buccaneers showed their domination on Sunday, winning the Super Bowl 31-9 over the Kansas City Chiefs. Just an absolutely dominant performance by the Buccaneers. And my opening thoughts on the game was just how Tampa Bay was able to do exactly what they wanted to do in the game. They were able to, they were able to run the football. Their third possession, they really showed that when they ran the ball, started running the ball with Leonard Fournette, they were able to run the football. And one thing they really, really were able to do all day long was get pressure on Patrick Mahomes, and they were able to predominantly do it rushing four. Which I, which yes, I picked the Chiefs, but I said before the game, if 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 the Bucks could have success rushing four guys, they have a very good chance of winning the game. And they not only did they have success, that front four wrecked the game. They completely dominated the game. Patrick Mahomes was was awful on third down. They completely shut the Chiefs down on third down. Uh, the, the pressure completely affected Patrick Mahomes all day long. And it was just an, an absolutely dominant performance by the by, by the by the Buccaneers. And on, on defense in the secondary, they mixed up playing man and zone. They played their safeties deep. They played Winfield and Whitehead deep pretty much mostly the entire game. So it was just a completely dominant performance. And, and for Kansas City, uh, really, I didn't love their game plan coming in. I, I thought they would be more prepared for how good that pass rush was of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, I, I think they really didn't set up a lot of design screens with Patrick Mahomes, not really a lot of rollouts or bootlegs. They kind of just decided we're just going to throw Mahomes in the shotgun and really see if our front four uh, and see if our front four could uh, try to contain their pass rush, and and, and, and they and absolutely couldn't. And it was just a day where where they, they couldn't do it. They could they couldn't protect him. And on the defensive side of the ball, they couldn't stop the run. And that's why Steve Spagnuolo couldn't bring any of his blitz packages in that game. So they really only blitzed two times the entire game. So. It was just a dominant performance by the Buccaneers and Tom Brady. What more can you say? Seven. What can you say? He's now a seven-time Super Bowl champion. It still is crazy to think of. Yeah, it is. Uh, uh, another great performance by him and the Bucks. Yeah, you know, and I'm sorry, I guess with the Chiefs too. I just they abandoned the run game too. I thought way too early. And I know with their front four, they probably wouldn't have been able to get much going. But I, you know, still I didn't like how they pretty much abandoned it early on in that game. Um, you know, yeah, nothing went right at all for them. Their offensive line. I Tampa had a record 29 um, pressures in a Super Bowl, and I don't know if you saw the saw the stats, Steve. Before Mahomes threw a pass running around the backfield, he, you know. He ran for 497 yards. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so, and he's on a turf toe trying to do whatever he could. You know, it just, you know, miss, ex, you know, um, just bad execution at times, you know. End of the first half, you know, you can even look, you know, the read timeouts were bad. And then you could also look at um the Tyree Kill one where he goes out of bounds, two-minute warning. Tampa would have got the ball probably with 30 seconds left right about instead of that's a good, seconds. Yeah, that's a good that's a good point there. I, I, I didn't really recognize that. I know obviously I recognized I recognized the two timeouts. I, I obviously that bad penalty by Bashar and Breland, but yeah, he'll going out of bounds there. That's a that was a huge play in the game. Yeah, so that you know gave Tampa some more time too, but 
Yeah, Tampa did whatever they wanted to, and you know, it was you know, Gronk in the playoffs. It's just he's just a different animal in the playoffs than he is in the regular season. But yeah, you know, Tom Brady to win another one. It's just I'm happy for I'm happy for him and Gronk, but you know, uh, again, it's kind of you should still be in a Patriot uniform. You know, like never. Oh, seen, yeah. you know. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, Brady still is a top QB and Gronk. I'm not saying he's the tight end he used to be, but he's still a serviceable tight end. Yeah, play action and the run game helped him to get him open, but still, he's still a serviceable tight end in this league. Oh, yeah, he is, you know. And, you know, um, for being out for a year, I didn't think, you know, we were going to see him be at his best. But, you know, I know, yeah, he was nothing like he used to be, but still, you know, he was, you know, a, another, another option for this great, you know, his core receivers and, and backs that they have. So, yeah, you know, he, you know, played well again in the Super Bowl. So, yeah, yeah, it's, it's tough to, you know, I'm happy for those two. But you think uh, Tom's bored of going to Disney too? Seven oh, I know. Times. I know. Seven times now go to Disney Disneyland. It's right there, though, in Tampa. It's, it's yeah. pretty close this time. But still, he's, yeah, he's got to be getting bored of doing that. Seven yeah. times going to Disney World, yeah, that, 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 it's exciting, but it does get a little bit it gets a little boring there when you're doing it so many times. But to, to talk about this game a little bit, uh, obviously, you know, first couple possessions, you know, we're a little bit slow. Uh, the Bucks had a little bit of a slow start there, get, uh, getting everything going. Uh, Kansas City kicks the field goal, and then uh, just the, the, on the third drive of the game, Tampa Bay showed what they wanted to do, and that was run the football. They did a great job on that third drive, scoring that touchdown. Uh, then the next drive, they, uh, for, they force a three and out, you know, getting pressure with four, they, they blitzed a little bit early, but then, then once they knew they can get there with four, they pretty much did that all game, getting there with, getting there with four. Uh, then, then, then that next drive, that Tampa drive where they drove all the way to the one yard line. And I did like them going for it there. And, uh, and a big play on that drive too, was that Chris Jones penalty. Cause if it wasn't for that penalty, it would have been third and four. And that could then that could have turned the game around there too. So that was a big penalty by Chris Jones. Really, a series of penalties by the Chiefs. You know, the Chris Jones penalty, them jumping off sides in the field goal, and obviously the Brashard Breland penalty. So and then and then the Tyron Matthew penalty. So four huge penalties in the first half for the Chiefs, which pretty much pretty much put the game out of reach there. So the, yeah, the penalties really hurt the Chiefs. But on that drive, then the Bucks went for it. I like the fact they went for it because it flipped the field position because they were able to get the ball back. Then they were able to force KC. Uh, it wasn't a three and out. I think it was it was a. a it was uh, they got a first down and th- then they forced him to punt and then it was a uh, then they then they got they got good field position got the Gronk touchdown went up 14-3 uh, Casey got a field goal and then this is what you do in the NFL you get into this situation even with a minute to go you got to try to score they did a great job being aggressive trying to score and huge huge mistake by Andy Reid taking those timeouts because they ran that draw to Leonard Fournette you're thinking okay they're just going to go into the half 14 to six but he, huge mistake by Andy Reid he made the same he made the same mistake. A year ago against the 49ers, but luckily Kittle was called for that offensive offensive pass interference, and it didn't end up hurting him. But he it hurt, it hurt him big time, big time uh, this time because that that's when I feel like the Chiefs came completely unglued, and that's when I feel like the Buccaneers pretty much won the game. There was on that last drive before the half because then they came out second half. Chiefs get get the field goal, and then Tampa Bay uh, going back to the running game with Leonard Fournette, play action with Tom Brady. As Romo said all game, run it. Screen it, play action, and that's what the Bucks did all day on offense. That's why they scored 31 points, and obviously getting pressure on Mahomes, and they had that. Then pretty much had the interception in the third quarter, and that pretty much sealed the game as the Bucks won at 31 to nine. Yeah, um, you know, the Bucks, you know, came out here. They wanted the revenge game, and they got it. They absolutely executed everything to, you know, perfection. 
Um, you know, the way they're, you know, um, the most pressures all time in the Super Bowl 29, they got on, on Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. Just absolutely, they could not do anything. They did a great job taking away the, um, the D, you know, Tampa made sure that, you know, Casey was going to beat them in the short game and they were not going to get beat over the top like they did in the first meeting. Um, everything went right for him. You know, Casey, yeah, the penalties were bad. That field goal one, um, when they jumped offside, he's, he was offside. I guess it was his pinky or his thumb was like the one spot. That's how close it was. Um, you know, that that punt, too, after the hold, you know, after you shank the punt, did it too. But, yeah, I, I'm with you. Like, right at the end of the half when Reed called those timeouts, I was like, okay, because you give Brady extra time, you know. It's, it's it's a bad thing. Did you not see the Packer game at the end of the uh, first half when they threw the touchdown? You know, like you can't get Brady extra time like they did or, you know, extra timeouts and all that. So, yeah, Tampa Bay did all they wanted to. And Casey just looked – they just, you know, they, like in for Casey too, I know they are missing two of their offensive tackles, but there's no creativity. Where was the Andy Reid creativity? I know, you know, he's – other things are on his mind, you know, the situation there. I understand that, but it just seemed like that wasn't the KC offense that we know. There just was not a lot of creativity to it, you know, that we're used to seeing. But um, after, you know, Tampa won that game, and, you know, I, I did not think we'd ever see KC get beat down like they did because, you know, they didn't really have a chance. No, and it's the first game that Mahomes lost by two scores in, so, in his entire career. And yeah, yeah, and you're right, Andy Reid, there just wasn't a lot of creativity at all on offense. It pretty much was. And they tried some screens there, but it, they really didn't work. The Bucks were able to take those away, but there just wasn't any real creativity. It just was pretty much, let's just hope Mahomes can make plays against this defense. And when you're playing a defense like the Buccaneers, and there's such a mismatch between your front four and their offensive line, you got to come up with some, you know, reverses, some, uh, you know, rollouts, bootlegs. You got to come up with some different things, and it just seemed like Kansas City did it. And you and you mentioned earlier how they abandoned the running game, and yeah, because you look at you look at that on two of those drives in the first half, they didn't run the ball at all. They really only ran the ball six times in the entire first half, and and uh, one of those times was I think uh, on that last drive of the half, and the, and and they ran it I think four times on the drive where they got a field goal. So they were having some success running the football, but I just think the coaching staff at Kansas City had so much respect for that Tampa front seven that they, they felt like we really can't run on these guys because we haven't ran the ball that well all year. And they felt like, you know, we're, the one thing Tampa Bay does, Tampa does so well to stop the run. And they just felt like, you know what, we really can't run on those guys. We're going to try to attack their secondary. But that didn't work because Mahomes literally had no time to throw at all. Yeah, you're exactly right. Uh, he was running for his life. But, yeah, you know, it, it's like what um... – the Bills against the Ravens, kind of that game, you know, back AFC divisional round. You know, they banned the run game again. They, you know, they didn't really have, you know, they were able to kind of throw the ball, but they didn't have a ton of points. Yeah, you know, and it still goes to show you. I know it's all, you know, you still need a running game in the NFL to win games. You know, I know oh, all, I, all oh, these high-powered quarterbacks. Oh, oh, absolutely, you need a running game. I mean, yeah, you don't need to pay a running back seventeen million a year, but because two guys could do the job that one guy could do, because like. The Bucks had 145 rushing yards, and uh, Fournette had, had 89, and Ronald Jones had 61. So you don't need to pay one guy 17 million a year, but you need to have a running game because because these defenses, 
and especially when you get late into the playoffs, these defenses are pretty good. And if, if they know you're going to throw the ball, they're just going to pin their ears back, get, to, get, get pressure on the quarterback, and it's pretty much game over. So you definitely need a running game. And I'll eat some crow about, you know, my offensive line takes yeah, over yeah. the years, okay? I know Jace knows. I know you know that I am not the biggest O-line guy, okay? I've felt like the O-line has kind of, you know, kind of gone down. Uh, kind of uh, The O-lines are kind of eroding in the NFL, which I still think is the case. And I still think you need to be great on the offensive line. You just can't be what Kansas City was on Sunday on the offensive line. Because if you're that, there's just no chance you're going to win. You could win games in this league having that bad of an offensive line. That shows you where offensive line plays in the NFL. But you can't win championships having an offensive line that bad. Yeah, yeah, I was going to ask you that. Yeah, you know, it's, it's important. I still think it's important to have an offensive line. But yeah, you know, in, in most circumstances, yeah, you, you're losing your two offensive tackles. And we kind of, you know, really showed you that tackles isn't so important. You know, and like, do you think it, you know, like if they play Tennessee who had no pass rush, you know, like maybe things are a bit different. I still think, you know, Mahomes may have had some struggles trying to get rid of it because it was that bad. But I still think it's important to have an offensive line that because, look, you know, Patrick Mahomes looked human. Again, and he tried all he can do. I'm not trying to put any blame on Patrick Mahomes. He did everything he could to try to keep his team in the game. But even Pat Mahomes struggled when his offensive line, you know, was down some pieces. It's pathetic, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, any other quarterback was in trouble with that line. So I still think it's important to have, you know, yeah, you don't need a great offensive line throughout, but you need some guys that could play and at least give you more than three seconds to read the defense and, you know, uh, you know, read the coverage and all that. Oh, absolutely, with, without question. And I think one really underrated player in this game, his stats weren't great, was Mike Evans. And I'll tell you why. He drew three huge penalties in that game. Because you remember the interception Brady threw, you had the hold on Tredavious, on Tredavious Ward, the, uh, the, 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 obviously the, the pass interference on Breland, which was a huge play, and then the pass interference on Matthews. So he drew three huge penalties in that game. And that, and that kind of shows Spagnola too that, you know, our corners are really going to struggle in man coverage. We really can't blitz that much because our corners have trouble matching up with their with, our, with, with their receivers, even though they got behind so much where they really couldn't blitz. That was that was the biggest reason. But I think a second reason was their corners just had trouble covering the Bucks, the Bucks, uh, Tampa's receivers. That was another reason why they couldn't blitz as much. Yeah, and, you know, we kind of figured that could be the case. You know, if they're not able to, yeah, with how many guys they have, that's really the biggest uh, – weakness that Casey has throughout the team, you know, when, when they're healthy yeah, on the offensive line, that's their biggest weakness. And yeah, they exposed it. And I know people could, you know, about the past year, you know, again, I, I still don't think those penalties, you know, the team back wasn't even a matter, but yeah, you know, uh, Tampa Bay kind of exposed that they did, you know, Mike Evans did a great job of drawing the flags and um, yeah, Casey really did not have any answers. And yeah, that was kind of something we brought up last week that could be an issue. And they used it again. You know, Tampa did a great job of using against them their weakness. Oh, 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 absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it's just. I mean, and, and you just got to give it to the Bucks. I mean, you you looked at them in, in, at the beginning of the season. I mean, they were a team that was seven and five after uh, after Thanksgiving, lost that game to Kansas City, and they had that bye week. That that was that was key, and they and they just started to play kind of more like the Patriots, you know. And uh, they they ran the football, started to throw more. They start they stopped with all this no risk it no biscuit, started to throw a little bit more screens. Uh, you knew that defense was really good, and once they got things figured out on offense, you knew this team was. Had a, had a good chance of winning it this year and at the end and 
obviously by, obviously by the end of the year, they proved why they were the best team in football. Yeah. Now Brady once again in the playoffs. That was probably his best, you know, run two in the playoffs. So three quarterbacks he had to go through, Breeze, Rodgers, and Mahomes. And then the guy who throws for the most yards against him was uh, Taylor Hineke. Like, three quarters, you know, so you got to give credit to, yeah, their defense the last um, three playoff games were, were unbelievable against the three quarterbacks they won up against. But, um, yeah, you know, Tampa after that bye, it looked, you know, problematic for the Bucs at 7-5. But, again, that's – Brady always says it, you know, the season always begins after Thanksgiving for him. And once again, yeah, they played their best football after Thanksgiving, you know, after, well, after the cheat, you know, after that cheese game, they started playing yeah. their best football. Like they he usually does. So. Oh, 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 absolutely. And uh, to give some closing thoughts on, you know, the game and the season, I thought obviously the Super Bowl didn't live up to all the hype. Be just, just, just more because K- Tampa Bay did exactly what they needed to do. And Kansas city did, exactly what they need what, didn't do anything they needed to do to stay in the game. I mean, they, they couldn't stop the run. They couldn't protect the quarterback and, and, and Tampa Bay did the opposite. They were able to run the ball and they were able to get a, ton, a, a ton of pressure on Mahomes. I knew they were good. I knew they were going to get pressure on Mahomes. The thing was, is I didn't know the pressure they were going to get on Mahomes was going to wreck the game. That's why I picked Kansas city. Cause I thought, you know, they, maybe they nickel and, di- and nickel and dime. Uh, they, they throw the ball and they, and they, and they gave up and they did give up those seam routes to Kelsey. But I did think that, you know, they would score, they'd score points when they got into the red zone, but they just couldn't do anything when they got in the red zone. So I think Tampa Bay did a really good job of getting pressure and running the football. They did exactly what they had to do. Kansas City, you know, just just could not protect and took the, their quarterback and they couldn't stop the run. And obviously that was the biggest key why the game was a blowout. I think Todd Bowles did a great job and he completely outcoached Andy Reid and uh, and and Eric Bieniemy. And I think, you know, you got to give it to the Bucks. They had, they, they had a great year. And for the Chiefs, I mean – one thing they're going to have to work on this offseason is they got to get a player. They got to get somebody, even a, either a defensive tackle or a linebacker, that could that could stop the run. Because if you look at all the big games the Chiefs have gotten beat in uh, over the last couple of years, uh, you remember that Patriot game where they got beat? Uh, the, the Patriots ran all over them. The last two playoff games they got beat, they got ran all over. The Patriots in 2018 in the AFC Championship game and the uh, and the uh, and this and the Super Bowl on Sunday, so they got completely ran over. So they need to have a run stuffer, and I think the Chiefs need to commit to the running game more, just like they did in 2018 with Kareem Hunt. They need to commit more to the running game with Clyde Edwards-Helaire. They need they need to utilize him a little, they need to utilize him better. They need to run the ball more. It would keep their defense off the field, and and it would it, their offense would flow would would flow a little bit better. I know their offense was still great this year, but it would be even better. I feel like if they used uh, Clyde Edwards-Helaire a little bit more. And my final thought on the season, I think you got to give a big, got to get big, uh, big props to Roger Goodell. He did a great job. Two hundred and sixty-nine games were played, and all two hundred sixty-nine. They played all two thousand two hundred sixty-nine games. They did not miss any games. And you got to give credit to a commissioner when he does that. You say what you want about Goodell. The NFL did an outstanding job with COVID to get this entire season in and not to miss an entire game. I think they did better. The NBA did a great job in the bubble, but I feel like they did better than any other league. Uh, dealing with the playing through a pandemic so they did the nfl did an outstanding job this year with the pandemic yeah actually i'll, I'll start with the you know commission on that first and i'll go my thoughts um yeah you know and you know the nba you know they did a good job and i think you know it helped too that the timing that they did have you know six months beforehand to figure kind of figure it all out but it is still impressive they got all the games in the one problem I had with Cadell on Sunday night is he finds all the coaches for not wearing a mask, but he wasn't wearing one Sunday night on that stage. At least put it around your face, you know, at least I put know. it around your neck. Yeah, I got it. I got it. I got it. Everybody yeah. else. Um, so I had an issue with him, him on that, you know, just a 
little issue there find everybody but yeah closing thoughts on the bucks um again i guess you can't you can't doubt tom brady still at 43 in the playoffs and you know todd bowles was great in the defensive game plan um they again you know uh, Patrick Mullen's worst loss in 2016 when Iowa State beat him 66 to 10. I knew you. I knew you looked that one up. Yeah, I actually remember part of that game. Did you watch I mean, it? A little bit, probably until it was like 42 to seven or something. You know, Iowa State that, that, that year? Were they even good that year? I think they made a bowl game. I think oh, they okay. won like seven games, seven eight yeah, games, yeah. somewhere around yeah. there. They weren't yeah. anything impressive, but yeah. um, yeah, you know, that's absolutely beat down. And Tampa did anything that they wanted to. Absolutely got to Mahomes, just made their day a living nightmare. And for KC, they just, you know, lack of creativity. You know, I'm with you. Lack of the running game. I know Claude Edwards is not great in between the tackles, but he's still a pretty good runner with his size, too. You know, he's going to break a tackler or two. Um, so, yeah, I do think they need to commit more to the running game next year because, you know, him and Williams aren't bad running back. You know, like, that's all you need. You just need two decent running backs to kind of, you know, compliment compliment your passing game. Just yeah, yep. yeah. You don't need you don't need to. You just need to do it a little bit, just just to make teams respect it. Yeah, you don't have to run it forty times, but yeah, you know, as long as it's like 60, 40, something around there, yeah, you'll be fine. So, yeah, you know, the the Chiefs are going to be fine. You know, as long as they yeah they add another piece of linebacker, D tackle, or even a second another secondary piece. Yeah, Chiefs will be fine. They'll be back here again. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, and uh, yeah, because I yeah I think they'll they'll obviously be one of the favorites in the AFC. Even though I think it's going to be tough to get to a Super Bowl three years in a row, it always is the only team, the last team to get to the, after the, uh, the last team to lose the Super Bowl and then get back to the Super Bowl was the Patriots in 2018, and before that, it was the Bills in 1993. So it's very very hard to get to lose the Super Bowl and get back the next year. It's a much easier to win the Super Bowl and get back the next year, as we saw with the Seahawks in 2000 in 2014, after they won it in 2013, the Patriots in 2016, after they won it in 2000 uh, and 2007 and 2017. And then this year with the chiefs. And then even longer before that, the Patriots, when they won back-to-back Super Bowls in 03 and 04, and then the, uh, the Broncos, when they won back-to-back Super Bowls in 97 and 98. And then with the, uh, with, the uh, Packers when they won won the Super Bowl '96 and uh, lost the Super, the Super Bowl '97. So it's much easier to win it and get and uh, get back than lose it and get back. And and Tom Brady he proved why he is not only the greatest quarterback of all time, the greatest NFL player of all time. He proved on on Sunday why he's the greatest athlete of all time with seven championships, ten championship appearances. We will never see an athlete uh, an athlete like Tom Brady ever again. No, you know, uh, we won't. I won't compare, you know, to everybody. Yeah, right now, he, you know, best all-time quarterback, um, you know, yeah, best NFL, yeah, you know, out there right now. It's it, it's remarkable what he was doing at age 43. It, it really is. It, it's impressive. So, because you look at Breeze and you look at Ben and they're, they're, you know, they're wearing down. And you look at Tom and, you know, I know the arm strength's not there anymore, but still, um, he's, he's been great. So, yeah, you know. Tom Brady again. And, and I know we were talking last week about, you know, the Rams are the favorite, but how can you bet against Tom Brady going up against Matt Stafford? Like, I think Tampa could be the front runner in the NFC. Oh, oh yeah. I, stop it with the Rams being a favorite. I'm not – there's no way I'm betting – I don't care what team Matt Stafford has around him. There's no way I'm betting Matt Stafford. Uh, I'm, I'm taking Matt Stafford against Tom Brady. There's no way. The Buccaneers are definitely my team. 
uh, my pick in the NFC uh, uh, going into the uh, going into the season next year. And I think they're going to. I think if if they you know if they're able to resign uh, Chris Godwin and uh, Shaq Bear, I think I think they I think they win it again. So seeing what happens in free agency, I th- I I think they're going to win it again. And I you know Brady's forty four. He's got no sign of slowing down. No, he does not. And it's impressive. They have to, have to um, resign it too, right? Lamont David, the linebacker too. Levante David, I think. Yeah, yeah Levante yeah. David, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, you know, I, I'm ready for the schedule release now. You know, I want to see oh, yeah. Tom Brady returns to Foxborough. <laughs> That's going to be interesting. That's going to be interesting. We will get to that. I want to go. I want to go. Oh yeah, that would be nice. That would be, that would be nice. I, I guarantee you, that's going to be either a four, oh. four, a four thirty, a four twenty-five Fox game or a Sunday night game. I, that, that you know that for sure. So oh, we'll yeah. see. And we'll a, see. We'll see what happens there. And a grin that just entered Gillette Stadium that night. What do you say? It'll, and it'll cost you probably about a grand to just walk. Oh, into Gillette oh yeah. That night. Oh, e- but, easily, yeah. easily, 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 yeah. easily. But we got to move on to uh, some more, some more, some other NFL news. And Carson Wentz, right now, there's rumors about him uh, being traded. There's rumors about it, big rumors about him being traded uh, to either the Colts or the Bears. And Jace, if you get any breaking news, please let us know. Uh, the Eagles in the coming days are going to trade Carson Wentz. It looks like they're going to go with Jalen Hurts, and and it looks like Wentz is going to be traded to the to the Eagles, to the Bears, or the Colts. And personally, the Colts are definitely the bigger. For me, that would be a much better option for him. Really good offensive line. Uh, they got a top defense. A coach that he, that was the offensive coordinator when he won the Super Bowl in 2017. Uh, he, uh, I, uh, I mean, yes, the receipt receiving core is a little bit shaky, but I think Michael Pittman is emerging. I think he could emerge as the number one receiver. Uh, obviously, the T.Y. Hilton's a free agent, but. I, I think that the Colts would be the much better destination. If you went to the Bears, you would have another bad offensive line like you did with the Eagles this year. Uh, uh, the running game is emerging a little bit with David Montgomery, but he's got to be more consistent. Allen Robinson's a free agent. Defense is good, not as good as the Colts. So it's pretty obvious what the better option would be. The better option would be for him to succeed would be to be traded to the Colts. Yeah, I'm with you. I guess, too, I heard this morning, I used the Bears – GM, I think he's getting um, he's getting annoyed, I guess, too, with the waiting game right now with the Eagles. Um, so again, I don't know if they're gonna pull their offer, but yeah, I think it's a much better fit with the Colts with the line um, with that offer. Yeah, maybe you know they may lose T.Y. Hilton. They need yeah another weapon wide receiver, but again, he's a guy you know they got a solid defense. He's a guy that you know that I know he didn't get him the Super Bowl. He's kind of been there though and had his team in great position. Um, yeah, that MVP year, he, um, you know, reunites with his old OC. So, yeah, I think the Colts could be a really, really good fit for him. Um, again, I, I guess I heard, too, it sounds like the Colts don't want to give up a first rounder for him. And it sounds like that's what the Eagles want, though. So I think that's kind of like the last missing thing here. But, I, you know, because I think Easton's a year away and obviously Breeze isn't, I mean, Rivers uh, isn't coming. Uh, uh, Easton's not going to be their starter, dude. Come yeah, on. I. Yeah, I know. I said I think it sounds like he's another year away. Okay. But, you right. know, if they did ever want him, it sounds like they he wants another year. They need another year, but um, yeah, you know, it'll be interesting. I think it'd be good for him to come out, go out, and um, get you know, get re- refreshed. But I heard something like an Eagles reporter saying, you know, he's uncoachable though. It was like the first time I've heard that one though, which. You know that that's interesting. You know that's why I think him and Nagy wouldn't wouldn't fit because yeah. Nagy knows Peterson. I don't think I don't think that would be kind of be that would be an odd match. I think the match it would be Frank Wright Carson Wentz, and eventually, I think the Colts are going to get it done because yeah, I think they might just lower the asking price as the days as the days 
as time goes on, I think they'll lower the asking price to two first to maybe a second round pick because the Colts are in desperate need of a quarterback. They're high. They're not. They're not anywhere near the top ten. They'd have to trade up to get a quarterback. So and, and obviously Wentz worked with with Frank Wright. So I think I think it's it's going to be the Colts. I think that's the team he's going to go to. Yeah, I think so too. I'm with you. I think the Colts are a good fit for him. You know, resets re, kind of resets everything for him. We've seen, you know, he's got he's got a good old line too, so he's not going to sack sixty times. But uh, yeah, I think that that would be a good fit for him. I think that he'll end up there at the end. Yeah, we'll see. It'll be interesting to see where he ends up going. Well, quickly talk quickly talk about this story. Uh, Russell Wilson uh, has been complaining about his offensive line, and for good reason. I mean, he's been sacked more than any quarterback in the last. Uh, in the last since 2012, 394 times, uh, and as we saw this year too, the, the biggest reason why the Seahawks got eliminated in the first round was because of their offensive line. Yeah, their defense struggled, but it started to get better in the second half of the season once Jamal Adams got healthy and once they got Carlos Dunlap. The biggest reason why they struggled was that offensive line. And I saw it firsthand when they played the Giants. Their offensive line was absolutely terrible. The Giants, Leonard Williams was living in their backfield that day, and uh, they were getting pressure on Russell Wilson all day. And in the playoff game, it was the same thing. The Rams were getting pressure on Wilson all day. And I don't, again, I don't care how good the quarterback is. And I, yes, could Wilson play under an offensive line that's, that's in, like average to above average? Yes, but the Seahawks' offensive line was absolutely terrible, and that was the biggest reason why they got eliminated in the first round of the playoffs. And that's a reason why there's there's potential. I don't think uh, there's still, uh, still there's uh, there's a very small chance of this that Russell Wilson ends up getting traded because of how bad this offensive line is. Yeah, I, you know, I I think he'll stay in Seattle. I think. Um... I don't think they're going to trade him, but yeah, I think he's just trying to, cause we know Russell, you know, he's kind of, you know, he doesn't really call out, you know, the word, you know, he hasn't called out an organization like he's done here. I think he's just trying to, you know, let him yeah, know like, got- Hey, I, I really need offensive line here. You know, that we really need the offensive line. We need help on that offensive line. Cause yeah, cause he's, you know, 394 sacks. So he's getting sacked in his nine years average of 44 times. Like again, one of these times, you know, again, you hope it doesn't happen because he's such a great player. But, again, he's going to get hurt one of these times. He's already been here nine years in the league. Like, you're going to, you know, unfortunately, like, he's just going to get older. So, yeah, you hope they go out and go get off of the line for him. But I, I'd, I'd be really surprised if, if they traded him. I, I don't see that happening. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't either. I mean, I think there's a 99% chance he'll be on the Seahawks. He's a very, very small chance he's going to be traded. Seeing his contract situation, seeing all the dead money the Seahawks are going to have to have to eat up, and, and if, if they get rid of him, the Seahawks would be a, a five to six win team. So they're they're not they're not going to do that. They're not they're they're not going to trade him. It's just it's interesting to hear a story like this about a player like this that he is a little bit upset. He's getting a little tired of what's been going on in Seattle. I mean. Realistically, ever since two thousand since two thousand sixteen, they two thousand since two thousand seventeen. In the last four years, they only have one playoff win. So, I think he's getting a little bit tired of you know not getting to a. They haven't been to a conference championship game since two thousand fourteen. The last time they got to the Super Bowl, so I think he's getting a little bit tired of it. He wants to get back to a Super Bowl, and he wants his organization to get some guys around him to step up. Because you look at what's around Tom Brady: really good offensive line, uh, top defense, uh, good weapons. You look at the roster the Buccaneers have versus the roster the Seahawks have. Uh, it's not comparable. The Bucks clearly have the better roster. Yeah, definitely. And then, you know, we go back to the – yeah, you know, game pieces around him. We go back to the draft last year. They drafted that um, linebacker. That who was Jordan like, Brooks from – that was a wasted yeah. pick because he did not contribute at all this year. No. And people had him going in the third round. It's like, what are you doing? Go after, you know, another – you know, so, yeah, they just – again, I, I think it's, it's another one of these cases like Rodgers where 
He just he just wants pieces around him to help him. You know, I think he said it too. He doesn't he doesn't want to be watching the Super Bowl this week. He'd rather be on the field playing. So, you know, like I guess any other NFL player. But yeah, he wants help around him. You can't get mad at him for doing that. You know, and he's just trying to wake him up. He's tired of staying behind the no, you know, the door and not saying anything. He wants to really put some pressure on them now because you know Seattle fans are going to be doing that now. They don't want to lose Russell, so you know they. they you know, they want Russell to be pissed or angry, you know. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it, yeah. I mean, it, yeah, this team needs to improve around him. And I think Wilson's just trying to figure out a way how to do that. He's tired of him. He's tired of watching. He's tired of watching Super Bowl on his couch. He wants to play another Super Bowl. So I give him, I give him credit for, you know, speaking out and wanting this team to be better. Yeah. Yeah. You can't, you can't get mad at him trying to make it seem better. So, yeah. No. Yeah, I'm all no. for trying to help him out. No, no, not, not at all. Not at all. Unfortunately, we got to talk about the passing of a, a really, really good head coach, and that was the passing of Marty Schottenheimer. As we, as Justin, you may not remember him as much because you were you were a little bit younger when he when he coached, but he was co- the coach of the Browns from 80, 84 to eighty eight. Got the Browns to two AFC Championship games. Obviously, you know they lost them both with the drive and then the fumble uh, with Ernest Spiner. So, so, but then he went to Kansas City, and he was great. I mean, Kansas City was in the play. They didn't get to a Super Bowl, but they were in the playoffs every year with Marty Schottenheimer. They were the number one seed twice, too, in 95 and 97. Obviously, those were those years when Kansas City had Derek Thomas and Neil Smith and Marcus Allen. And uh, they had a, and, and one, one staple of a, lot, of a lot of Marty Schottenheimer teams, good running game, good defense, you know. He, and uh, that was the staple of the Chargers back when he coached there from 2002 to 2006. I mean, he won a lot of games with the Chargers, too. They had a really good defense, and obviously they had LaDainian Tomlinson. LaDainian Tomlinson said in his Hall of Fame speech, the best coach I ever played for. And people and and uh, I think he's I think he's 100% right about that. And then, obviously, uh, the one year he coached with the Redskins where they started 0-5 and, and then ended up 8-8. Eight and eight. So a really good coach and sad to lose him. Yeah, you know, my I heard of Marty Ball, you know, the way that with that running game, you know, he just he just wanted to pound you with the running game, and that was about it. So, yeah, he's one of seven coaches to, um, you know, have 200 regular season wins, which is really impressive. You know, I know the playoff record isn't great, but regular season, you know, he he seems like he don't believe. I know a little bit, you know, I do like remember kind of hearing like they fired like the. You know, back in 06 when the Chargers fired him after 14 and two years, I was like, you know, I was, was eight a, and I was like, huh, that, like that, wow, that was a mistake. I felt like that was a mistake, but he didn't get along with the GM, A.J. Smith. That was a mistake because they hired North Turner and the team. Yeah, they got to the AFC Championship game the next year, but after that, the team just never got to the level it was with Marty. So, yeah, that was a mistake. But, yeah, I mean, I, I say even though he didn't win a championship, I still say a great, a great coach, one of the best coaches. I think one of the best coaches never to win a championship. Yeah. No, I put him up there, you know. I, I definitely would. So, yeah, it's important to be lost him. But, yeah, you know, everything I've, you know, heard, I've seen some, like, you know, much in the NFL, I've seen some of, like, the game, you know, watching, like, NFL films or whatever, you know, if it seems. And, yeah, you know, kind of kind of like an old school type of, you know, like with the oh, yeah. game. Totally old you know, school. Totally Very conservative. Love to run the football. Love to play good defense. I mean, kind of the opposite of today's game, but he was yeah. – yeah, but if it worked, it worked in the time. In his it era, it completely worked. I mean, he, he was an old school coach, and it worked. Yeah, you know. So yeah, if it works. Why fix it? You know, it. You know, yeah, yeah. It, you know, there's no point to fix it. So yeah, um, you know, seems like a really good old school guy. Yeah. Um, so yeah, definitely, I think one of the best coaches never, never to win a Super Bowl, unfortunately. 
Absolutely. 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 It's, it's sad that he's gone, you know, just but still, still a great coach, great man. Sad that we had to lose him. Uh, sad we had to lose him. Uh, 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 I think it was a couple of days, a couple of days ago. So it's just, 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 a, it was a sad day around the NFL community uh, a, a couple of days ago when we lost Marty Schottenheimer, but we got to get to uh, NFL awards and, uh, and, and they, on Saturday night, they uh, announced the NFL awards and, uh, uh, offensive player of the year, Derrick Henry, completely deserved. I mean, he was outstanding this year, led, led the league in rushing. Uh, he was clearly proved why this year he was the best running back in football. He was outstanding, and and, and he carried that Titans team to the playoffs that, that they ended up losing, and a big reason they lost was because the, t- the Ravens were able to shut completely shut him down, and Tannehill could, could not, uh, could not uh, be as good without him uh, carrying that team. And uh, we got our uh, defensive player of the year. That's Aaron Donald. I mean, that's pretty obvious. He's outstanding. I mean, clearly been the best defensive player in the league for the last four or five years. Uh, Justin Herbert. Here's the controversial one. Justin Herbert, offensive rookie of the year. I would have went with uh, Justin Jefferson. I bet Joe completely disagrees with this pick with Justin Herbert. But they usually give this award to a quarterback, and he had a great year, broke a rookie record for touchdown passes in a season. Uh, he's, he's proven to be the Chargers franchise quarterback. They found they found their next guy after Phillip Rivers. So it'll be interesting to see what Herbert does with the new coaching staff next year, knowing that that coach is a defensive guy, so their defense will be better. And you know Herbert's going to be good. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with Justin Herbert, but he wins offensive rookie of the year. Uh, defensive rookie of the year, Chase Young. Yeah, he didn't have a ton of sacks. I think seven and a half sacks, but with the amount of pressure he put on quarterback, especially by the end of the season, he definitely looked like definitely looked like the player. He, he definitely looks like he's going to be a stud in this league. He's going to be a great player in this league for years to come. If you look at his P, P, PFF grade, it's almost at a ninety. So he definitely deserved defensive rookie of the year, uh, coach of the year, Kevin Stefanski. He did a great job this year with the Browns. He pretty much eliminated what they weren't early in the season when they got blown out to the Ravens and the Ravens and they got blown out to the Steelers. He eliminated what they were not, and they were not a team that could throw the ball around the field. They had to be, they had to have an identity, and that was running the football. And they ran the ball better than anybody in the league, and it got them all the way to the divisional round of the playoffs this year. And the Browns got their first playoff win in over 25 years, and they made their first playoff appearance in 18 years. So well-deserved for Kevin Stefanski. And obviously, comeback player of the year was very obvious, Alex Smith. The fact that guy was even able to step on the field this year makes makes him be, being comeback player of the year. Because I thought in 2017, his career was definitely over. The fact he played this year and was and was the quarterback of a team that, that won, I know it was, the division was terrible, but a team that won the division. So all the credit to Alex Smith there. And your thoughts on the awards, Justin? Yeah, you know, Henry, obviously very deserving, over 2,000 yards. It's just an absolute monster trying to bring him down. Um, you know, going, you know, in, in this day and age with all the throwing and, you know, guys just trying to throw for 400 yards, having 2,000 yards is um, really, really impressive the way he runs the ball. Definitely deserving. I thought my most um, controversial one was defensive player of the year. I thought it should have been T.J. Watt because I think he had 15 sacks. I think he had more than Donald. Um, I think, you know, he also had, I think, 10 more tackles than Aaron Donald. I'm not trying to take any away from Aaron Donald. He's still a terrific player, but I thought TJ Watt was a bit better than him. Uh, but still, you know, again, Donald's not a bad choice at all. Um, I, I thought Watt was in on that one. Offensive rookie player of the year. I thought, you know, I was, I was good with Justin Herbert because I think if he had an actual coaching snap and a head coach, the Chargers could have been, um, a wild card team, like I, I think he could have got that team to a wild card. They, uh, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. I, th- I think I, I think they might have might have a winning record. I wouldn't say a wild card team. I'd say maybe a winning record. 
I didn't, they blew like four. I know they blew they blew games. three or four, four or five games, but I think with uh with I think it would have been not a playoffs, but I'd say a winning record though. I would say that. So they'd be nine and seven. Yeah, actually nine, nine seven. seven yeah, got in, yeah. No, yeah. but still, I you know that that they would have been in contention, and nobody thought they would have been. So I was okay. You know, Justin Jefferson had a great year. He filled the shoes hole. Uh, filled in great for Stephon Diggs. You know, not taking anything away from him, but um, I was good with Herbert winning that. Chase Young, yeah, um, absolute monster. Everything we could have expected from third third time in the last five years in Ohio State defensive end won the. Um, the, uh, the defense rookie of the year. Yeah, because it was it was it was Boza, uh, both Boza, Boza, Boza brothers and him. Yeah, yeah. So um, and maybe next year Malik Harrison coming in the draft going to be one of the top DN. So it could be another one in a couple years. Um, so yeah, yeah. And then um, Alex Smith definitely. I'm with you. I didn't think that guy was going to step on the field. Um, I was actually scared for the guy if he stepped on the field every time I saw him take a hit. And they, they, you know, by started six of the final eight games. Yeah, it was a terrible division, but still got them to the playoffs. And you know, it's just unbelievable, remarkable story. And then, yeah, Kevin's just this this fancy. I can never say his name. The fancy, yeah. I cannot say it. Um, finally broke the drought in Cleveland. I guess the most, um, or he's at the second most wins in franchise history. His first year as head coach, it was um Paul Brown back in um. 1948, I believe, or 1946. So did a great job changing around that Cleveland identity um, in the last 18 years, which you know, that's been awful. So remarkable job there with Kevin Spansky and what he did with the Browns this year. Absolutely, absolutely. And congratulations to all the award winners uh, who, who won those awards on Saturday. But we got to wrap up our NFL talk with another thing that was announced on Saturday, and that was the Hall of Fame class of 2021. Three of the names were pretty obvious, obviously. Peyton Manning, uh, Charles Woodson, and Calvin Johnson. Peyton Manning, obviously, you know, 14-time Pro Bowler, uh, 10-time All-Pro, a Super Bowl champion in Super Bowl uh, 41 and in Super Bowl 50, uh, Super Bowl MVP of Super Bowl 41, five-time MVP. Uh, just, well, 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 I mean, obviously we knew Peyton Manning was going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, uh, uh, and definitely a top three quarterback to ever to, to play the game, in my opinion. Uh, Charles Woodson, uh, Raider from uh, 98 to 2005, then he went to, over to the Packers till two, from 06 to 012, finished his career with the Raiders, nine-time Pro Bowler, eight-time All-Pro, 2009 Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, we knew he was going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, always one of the feared defensive players in this league, one of the best corners in football for almost a decade. Uh, then he moved over to safety at the end of his career. Uh, Calvin Johnson, obviously one of the best, obviously one of the best wide receivers of our generation. I mean, six-time Pro Bowler, three-time All-Pro. Those numbers are a little bit low because his career was short. I mean, his, his career was short, and he had terrible quarterbacks in Detroit outside of my, Matthew Stafford. Uh, but once Stafford got into his prime, Calvin Johnson was obviously his number one weapon. I mean, he he was just outstanding. We remember that catch he had against the Cowboys, that catch he had against the Bengals. You could triple team that guy, and you couldn't stop him. He retired in his prime. He had probably two or three prime years left in his career, and he ended up retiring, unfortunately. One of the best receivers I've ever seen. I'd say a top 10 receiver of all time, and clearly a first ballot Hall of Famer. Yeah, um, I'll start with Peyton. Definitely very deserving. Um, obviously, you know, such great weapons those cold teams as well, you know, when you had Harrison and Wayne. And, you know, some great, unbelievable meetings, you know, with Tom Brady and the Patriots. Um, you know, always going to remember him as a Colt more than a Bronco, but – you know, um, he was always impressed. Oh, you know, one of the top quarterbacks 
that, that I've ever seen. And you know, definitely all time, he's sitting right there. Charles Woodson was definitely a cornerback I loved watching, um, physical guy. You know, kind of saw him more at the end of his – kind of, yeah, towards the end of his career. Um, but, yeah, unbelievable cornerback. Um, you know, yeah, it, um, it was – you know, cause I remember, you know, he started out the um, – his career with the Raiders, it was cool to kind of go see him go back and, and finish there. Um, but yeah, Charles Woodson and then uh, Calvin John. Calvin John, I loved watching Calvin Johnson play. The guy was the guy was a uh, the guy was a cheat code out there playing wide receiver. And yeah, you could triple team him. You can do whatever you want. You were not stopping Calvin John. It's it's funny too. He goes to Georgia Tech to play for a triple option team, a wide receiver. Um, even though he still leads. Georgia Tech and uh, all receiving yards all time. But, yeah, it's unfortunate, you know, with the, you know, uh, that he retired a few years earlier than people thought he would have. But, you know, again, the injuries, the NFL, it's, you know, um, could you know, it, it happened. So, that, you know, if he had Stafford for longer, who knows what could have happened with, with them in Detroit. But, yeah, unbelievable. It was you know, I was stunk to see him retire earlier than a lot of people thought he would have, but definitely an absolute cheat code out there. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, we look at some of the other Hall of Famers. Uh, a big, another big week for the Buccaneers is John Lynch, who was on that defense that won the Super Bowl in 2002 with Warren Sapp and Derek Brooks. He was on that great Bucks defense that beat the Raiders in Super Bowl 37. He finally get, he gets into the Hall of Fame, uh, six-time, uh, 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 nine-time Pro Bowler, four-time All-Pro. Uh, one guy that people probably don't know a lot about, Alan Fanica. Uh, guard for the mostly for the Steelers. He was on that. Two, he was on their Super Bowl team when they beat the Seahawks in 2005. Uh, he played for the Jets in that and uh, in 08 and 09. He was on that 09 team that got to the AFC Championship game, the ground and pr- the ground and pound team with uh, with with uh, Thomas Jones. Uh, that 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 team that team that was able to run the football really well in 2009 to get to, and Sean Green and Thomas Jones that team that was able to run the football really well in 2009. And uh, Tom Flores, the coach of the Raiders, and, and uh, really good coach, won two championships in, in uh, uh, Super Bowl 15 and Super Bowl 18 for the Raiders. Yeah, um, John Lynch, is not, you know, with the Niners, got him back to the uh, Super Bowl last year. But, yeah, you know, had the only Super Bowl win in Tampa Bay. It was a part of that team, but, you know, until Sunday night, uh, you know, definitely kind of poor. And he, you know, um, even yeah, all 14 couple times. Um, but he had, I think like 26 year picks. You know, I didn't you know see much of him in his career, but um yeah, Tom Floor, you know, then you know it was cool too to kind of see him Thursday night in that 30 for 30. 30 doc- oh know. yeah, you know about that 30 for 30 documentary. Yeah. That was a good one. That was a good one. You liked you liked it? Yeah, I, I did. I liked it. I liked yeah, it. Was it, wasn't, it wasn't one of my favorites. It was a little boring. And, 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 but you probably, because you're a Raider, you're, 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 your family likes the Raiders. You were kind of interested in it. Yeah. yeah but yeah, you know, that, that changed the NFL with Al Davis when he yeah. got up, moved the Raiders to LA, and Pete Rosell didn't want him to do it. That changed the NFL. And they won a championship in LA mm-hmm. two years later with, with Tom Flores as the head coach. Yeah. So, so yeah, you yeah, probably yeah. heard of Tom Flores because. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. My dad watches a ton of the old Raider, you know, 70s. <laughs> probably, so. yeah, probably, it's probably better to watch it now. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it is. Yeah. He misses those. Yeah. He misses those teams. Um, but, yeah, you know, won a couple of Super Bowls, you know, when the Raiders when they were the actual scary team in the NFL. Obviously, way back, you know, back then. But, uh, yeah, solid coach. Helped the Raiders win a couple more uh, Super Bowl titles in his, 
in his career. So another deserving candidate. Oh, I'm surprised it took so long to get him. Absolutely. I, I'm surprised it took him so long to get in. Oh, yeah, me too. Me too. Won two Super Bowls. But talking about a guy that's taken a long time to get in, last but not least, and Cowboy fans are waiting for this name to come up, Drew Pearson, the original number 88, is finally, finally going to be a Hall of Famer. And I think I think he is. I mean, three-time Pro Bowler, three-time All-Pro, uh, the original number 88. I mean, congratulations to him because I saw how upset he was the year before when he didn't get into the Hall of Fame, and now he's going to be in the Hall of Fame. So a really good moment for him. And, and and deserved for the career he's had. Yeah, another one. Um, yeah, yeah, he's another one that took for took a while um to get in, but um, designated what over like twenty playoff games, um, seven thousand yard career yards. Yeah, he had a really solid career. Um, and the first uh the original number eighty eight for the Dallas Cowboys had another um you know another really good weapon that they've had over the years, and he made the All Tech eighteen too. Um, won a Super Bowl, so yeah, another solid. Uh, another yeah, definitely another guy that took a while to get in. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So the we're gonna talk a little. We're gonna talk a little baseball now, and the rich get richer. But before that, here's a promo from Baseball with the Bard. Looking for a casual baseball podcast to listen to? Well, Baseball with the Bard, presented by Clovercrest Media, has just what you're looking for. Tyler Bard and Noah Cross cover a wide range of happenings in the MLB and then dive into a deep focus on the Red Sox and Yankees. Join us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for your weekly dose of Baseball with the Bard. That is Baseball with the Bard every Sunday at 11 o'clock. Uh... Uh, they talk about all the moves that are going on in baseball, and they've been last Sunday. They definitely were talking about this move as the rich get richer as the Dodgers uh, sign Trevor Bauer. Uh, so now you look at this rotation. Now they got Walker Bueller, Layton Kershaw, uh, uh, David Price, and uh, Trevor Bauer uh, in, in this rotation. And uh, let, let me tell you, this team right now, look at their lineup with Mookie Betts, with Cody Bellinger, with Max Muncie, with Corey Seager. This team, just in my opinion, they're on their own tier right now. They're on their own tier. It's them, and there's everyone else in baseball. They are clearly, clearly the best team in baseball, in my opinion. But, Justin, I want to get your opinion. Does this move make the Dodgers the clear favorite in the NL and in all of baseball? Oh, yeah. Totally. Yeah, you add, you know, um, Howard, the mix, Kershaw, Bueller, Price. And then, like, Dustin May looks like he's going to be a solid starting pitcher in this league. So, yeah, you know, with that one to five right there, scary with that lineup. And they somehow still want to get Justin Turner back, too. So I back at third. So that lineup could get even better. So, oh, yeah, totally. This, I, I'm with you. This seems on just a totally different level than the other 29 MLB teams at the moment. Uh, yeah, this, this team is going to be really, really good, to, fun to watch. Oh, absolutely. You know, and the Padres are good. The Yankees are good. The Braves are good. But they don't have the starting pitching. Or the lineup, and the bullpen might be the Dodgers' biggest weakness, but the bullpen's still good. You look at teams like the teams like the Yankees; they have issues with with uh, Judge and Stan staying healthy. Rotation depth has always been an issue. Uh, even the bullpen has been kind of regressing a little bit. But the Dodgers, it just looks like their offense is great, their rotation's nasty, and they got a good bullpen. It should be they they should. I think they have the team to repeat. They're clearly the best team in the league, in my opinion. Yeah, definitely. You know. They didn't- they really wanted to show teams that, you know, this was no fluke that we won the title in 60 games. And, yeah, they, they really want to build a dynasty, you know, dynasty of winning three, four, you know, World Series coming up here. Um, yeah, I would, you know, 
all the talent. And again, you know, yeah, their bullpen's probably the one biggest weakness. But the, with their rotation, it's like they they could be going seven, eight innings every every, every outing. So you may not even have to rely on that bullpen. But you know, who knows? But yeah, they're they're not. It, they, yeah, the, as you said, the bullpen's not even really a you know, not the. It, that's a good weakness to have. If that bullpen's like the weakest thing of your team. It, you know. So. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, especially when you're going to be scoring, like, you know, at least five to six runs a night, you're not going to give up many runs. So, yeah, if, I mean, you're not going to be in that many close games. So is your bullpen really going to matter that much until you get to the postseason? Yeah, yeah who knows? I don't, you know, if, if you know, if Bauer and, and Kershaw, you know, if they all go 70 anything, yeah, it possibly may not. But, you know, who knows right now? But, again, it's a, it's a nice thing to have, but – um. Yeah, this Dodger Dodger team right now is just I I don't know how you beat this team in a five or seven game series, you know. It just seems maybe we'll see a game or two, but that's really, you know, gonna be about it. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it's just it's just it's just a team that's spending a lot of money. They're taking advantage of their resources they have, and you can't complain about a team. You know, a lot of people are gonna say, "Oh, like the Yankees back in the day. Oh, they should win. They have there's no salary cap in baseball." Well, they're taking advantage of their resources. They're taking advantage of the way the sport's structured, and they got a ton of money, and they're taking advantage of it right now. They after they traded for bets, they signed them, and now they've signed Bauer. So, I mean, you can't complain about what what they're doing when they're taking advantage of the resources that are given to them. Yeah, they, they are. I think they're thirty million over the, um, you know, the threshold right now. Of, uh, yeah, they're. I think they're at two forty and the threshold's two ten, and they still want Turner. Um, again, I you know, he got his. I, and I'm actually surprised that they, you know, they they definitely are using all the resources they have and all the money. It's it's. It, I don't know if you heard this. Trevor Bauer's going to make um, more money than three MLB teams. I think it's like the Pirates. The Rays and the Indians. He's making by himself more than those three teams combined are making, or than each of those teams, the rosters. It's that, insane. That's just crazy to think of. That's crazy to think of. I think baseball needs to have a salary cap, but 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 yeah, because there are a lot. They're becoming a lot of haves and half nots in the sport. Unfortunately, that's the way the sport's really became uh, turning into. It's going into what it was back in the early two thousand. Just a lot of haves and half nots. You look at the Royals. You look at the Padres. You look at the Tigers. You look at you look at the Orioles. You you look at all these teams. Just too many half nots. You got it's just too many half nots. Teams are just not trying to win. I think the pandemic has definitely played an impact. You look at a team like the Reds. They were probably going to be. They were going to. They looked like a competitive team last year. Now they don't even go out and sign Trevor Bauer, and that takes them completely out of any conversation of competing for a championship. Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah it, it's people. I'm with you. They need a salary cap, you know. But yeah, the Razor, you know, and and that's central, I guess. Now the Cardinals getting here now to be tough, but yeah, you know, they're not going to be a factor. Kind of felt like they were, yeah, going to have some momentum, but that, that's all gone. I, I'm with you. They need a salary cap because. You look at it too. What's Bauer going to do? The pitchers market, like we saw, one good sixty-game season from Trevor Bauer. Again, he was a good pitcher, but he wasn't worth forty million before this. And the AL and NL Central stunk. They stunk. Those lineups stunk. Like, you know what's good? You know, um, trying to say who's their big starting pitcher on the market? Like, how about like a Shane Bieber or something? Or oh, he's played. Yeah, no. How about Eric Cole was a free agent next year? He's going to want like forty-four. Yeah, you look at Shane Bieber. He becomes a free agent. He, he's going to want money, and he's really only proven it against you know. And he's been he was good the year before, but he's only proven it against you know bad lineups where he put up big numbers. Pitches against the Yankees, he's absolutely terrible. Yeah. So yeah, just he's got yeah. 
yeah, it's, it's crazy what, you know, these pitchers, you know, these guys want. It's insane. It's, and I think that's also why they need a salary cap because you can't keep, you know, because the only two, you know, there's going to be four teams they can afford them. The Yankees, the Red Sox, the Dodgers, and um, like the Cubs. Like, actually, you know, like, well, they're kind of, it doesn't seem like they're, they spend right now, but still, like, there, there's no teams that can go out and get any of these guys soon. Like, you know, nobody, you know, like the Rays, the Royals aren't going to be signed. Anybody, these guys are going to want 10, 11 million. And they don't pay those, they don't pay anybody like that. So, yeah, it, it, you know, I, I'm with you. They need a salary cap. It's, this is getting, this is getting ridiculous. I don't, you know, you, you can't be paying a guy $40 million a year. And he, he messed with the Mets too. He, oh, he, I know. I know. I know he did. Mets fans are upset that they didn't get him. Yeah. Yeah, they, they, they are. I don't, I don't blame him. He yeah. wanted no. He had no business coming here. He just wanted the Dodgers to give him forty. He, he wanted to make more than Cole, and he did. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, crazy to think he made more than Garrett Cole over a sixty-game season, but that's what happened. But we'll talk about some more baseball news and uh, baseball plans too. Uh, there's three r- rules that 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 they're going to plan to have for the 2021 season. One I can't stand. One I like, and one I really don't mind. I'll st- which, which one do you want me to start? You want me to start with the one I can't stand or the one I like? Yeah, I want to see the one you can't stand. I'm probably on the same page with you. Oh, the one I cannot stand is the the uh, the, the not having the universal DH. And I say this on other shows. It is absolutely ridiculous. And that, not, now that you're you know changing some rules to be a little bit more you know progressive, you keep this DH in the National League, which is a total waste of time to have to have a pitcher hit. There is no way you should ever ever have the pitcher hit it makes no sense you changed it last year to have a universal dh why did you just keep the universal dh and keep the sport moving in a progressive fashion but no we're gonna we're, we're, we're gonna have the pitcher hit in the national league there might not be one more unwatchable there might be something nothing more unwatchable in major sports than watching a pitcher hit it's totally totally unwatchable i cannot watch a pitcher hit it, 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 it stop with this again. Stop with this. American League plays by one rules. National League plays by another set of rules. No, play by the same rules. Your Major League Baseball. Who cares about the American League and the National League? It's Major League Baseball. Who cares? Play by the same rules. It's stupid. And if the Yankee, if you get to the World Series, the American League team has to take their designated hitter out. It's so stupid to play by those rules. Just play by the same rules. Get rid of the pitcher hitting. I cannot stand the pitcher hitting. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I was crying. I figured that's where you were going with the one you can't stand. Yeah, 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 I'm with you. It's an absolute joke. It just, I, I know, I, you know, yeah, we, we've talked about it a couple of times. It, it, like, I just don't understand. Did you, you know, I don't, I don't think most pitchers like to hit anyway. Like, I think Bumgarner is probably the only one I know of that actually likes a hit and wants to be a DH when he's pitching in American League, you know, with their face American League teams. He wants to be in the lineup that night. But other than that, I don't, to enjoy it, you know. I it just makes no sense. It's it's baseball. They just uh, it just they can't get out of their own ways ever. And I don't know if they ever will because again, they just I know like the old school guys all love it, but I, how do you how, how do you love the pitcher hitting? What point does it have that the pitcher hits? It's an automatic out. It pretty I much is. Like it's strategy. I think it's just well, a strategy it's, for it's, managers. It's stupid. You have a pitcher hitting. It's stupid. Pit, the, the only level of baseball where pitchers hit uh, 
before the National League, the only other league is in high school. That's, that's the last time the pitcher hits at all. After that, the pitcher doesn't hit at all. They just worry about pitching the way it should be. You worry about pitching, not hitting. The pitchers don't hit. The pitchers should not bat. In minor, minor leagues, they do if it's National oh, League. Oh, yeah, you told me that. You told me, about, you told me that a couple weeks ago. Yeah, if it's oh. National League versus National League. But the pitchers should not hit. Yeah, I'm with you, though. Yes, they should not hit. I don't I don't get it, y'all. That's the, only, the only thing I get is the strategy, so the manager still has to do something. It still has to use his mind and not the dummy analytical guys up in the, you know, in the suite, you know, up upstairs. That's but other than that, uh, I don't, I don't get it. Just again, I, it's dumb. It's just baseball. Again, I don't want to see Garrett Cole in Game One of the World Series tear his hamstring trying to run to first base. Like again, I'll, uh, I don't. Know. That's just baseball for you. I don't get it. I don't like it. Or it's just I don't. Know. It it makes it. I'm with it. It just it's unwatchable for the most part. The only guy like enjoying it, Bumgar. The only guy that can actually a bat well. It's about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that historic moment he had against the Padres. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we'll get to a couple other, you know, rules. And uh, one of them is the doubleheaders or seven innings. That's the one that I don't mind. I mean, you're playing a bunch of games anyway. You're playing like 162 games. I don't mind if they play a doubleheader and there's a couple seven-inning games. I don't mind that. I know the traditional is going to say, every game's got to be nine innings. No, it doesn't. You can play seven-inning games. Stop with that. doesn't matter. Usually, most baseball games anyways are over after in the, after the seventh inning anyway. So, it really doesn't matter if you're playing seven innings or nine innings with doubleheaders. Who cares about that? And it's good. And I, I don't mind the rule. It takes some strain off the bullpens. I don't mind that. Another rule that I actually like is I like the fact they put a runner on second base in extra innings. I like it because you don't want the game to go six, 15, 16, 17 innings. Fans don't like that. Is an exciting baseball is once the game gets past like the you probably know this because I used to work Yankee games and you work Red Sox games. Do you want that game going into the 17th inning? Absolutely not. That you know, the game somehow has to end. There are baseball games that take five hours and go 16 innings. People don't want to watch that. It's not compelling. Yeah, I and mean, it's more compelling in the postseason. That's why they don't do it in the postseason. I like the fact they don't do it in the postseason. But I and I like the fact that they're in the second in the in, in the regular season, they're putting a runner on second base. Not have not putting more strain on these bullpens, ending the games early. I like I like that rule, uh, uh, and, and the fact I, and the fact it doesn't go against the relievers ERA. ERA, I like that too. The only way I would like the rules if it went against the relievers ERA because that's not fair for a reliever to have a guy on second base and have that go against their ERA. So yeah, I like the rule they have the runner on second base. People that want to complain about that rule too, why don't you just win the game in nine innings? Okay, win the game in the ninth. Okay, don't play for extra innings. Win the game in the ninth inning. Problem solved. Okay. You don't like that rule either. So that's actually one of the rules I actually like that baseball's been doing. I like they kept that rule. Yeah, I'll start with the seven inning doubleheaders. Um yeah, yeah, I heard the um do you know what actually the time time of all game it took for those seven inning doubleheaders? Yeah. No, no, I'm not sure. Two hours eleven minutes. Not, hey, move moving yeah, along. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Moving along, moving along. But then the final three innings take another hour, like or two hours. Yeah. You know, four hours they double the time. Yeah, you're, you're, you're shaving. Yeah, you're shaving time off the game. Again, which I don't mind. You know, uh, you know, yeah, I don't mind that. It, it make your sport better instead of people. Cause people don't want to. You know, people aren't going to watch game fifty of the year to watch the Yankees play at eleven thirty. You know, it, no. If the game's over at like nine fifteen or nine thirty, fine. That's great. Yeah, my minor league game take that slow, and I know it's a difference, but 
still, it just you might need to go so much quicker because they have the pitching clock. Let's put yeah, that in. that's another that's another rule. The pitching clock needs to be in. Enough, oh. Get in the box. Get out of the box. We don't need you walking around the batter's box. Get in the batter's box, okay? We don't need you, you know, playing around with your batting gloves. Get in the batter's box. Pitch clock it definitely is. And if you don't get the pitch away, it's a it's a ball. That's it. That's end of discussion. Yes. And I, and I don't care. I don't care if it's the last out of a, uh, out of a World Series, the final run of a World Series. You don't get the pitch away. That's a ball. That's it. You can say what you're gonna say. You want to? Yeah. Yeah. I like that. And you want to give another analytical stat that these guys all love. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So the longer you wait to throw your pitch, the harder you're gonna be able to throw it. So they all believe if I wait another 40 seconds, I can throw another 100 mile per hour fastball. So that's why they don't want it. Stop so thinking, keep... just play. I know, right? Yeah, it would help your sport out. So uh, go back. Yeah, I would love the seven inning double headers again. I really like that rule. Puts less stress on, you know, again, you're probably going to have postponements again. So things are going to get crazy again. So I'm fine with that. Oh, you're, if you're starting, the fact they're starting on time, there's going to be a lot of games that are postponed the first month of the season. Oh yeah, so it, it it's gonna it, it's gonna help out the, all the pitching staffs and um, and I guess even the players in general, you know. So you're not playing double headers three times a week. It, you know, you, you know, even for all those guys, it'll help out for the whole team. And then with the second um, run on second, I'm good with this. You know, I, I know you know. Know you did Yankee games. I've done Red Sox games. I've done games at three in the morning that started at eight, you know, seven eight o'clock. It's just like okay, I'm. Like trying not to fall asleep. Is there anything more boring than watching a 16-inning baseball game? There was an 18-inning baseball game in the World Series a couple years ago in the Red Sox and the Dodgers, and I was falling asleep during it. Okay, I I yeah. I, I, I like I like the rule. Make the make the games more compelling. Exactly, I like the rule. Yeah, I, I'm fine with it. It does breach the strategy too for the managers. You know, you oh, yeah, want, yeah, you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bring something back. Make make yeah. the managers work for the two million dollars. Yeah, yep, exactly, exactly. Absolutely, absolutely. Because it works in the minor leagues. I've, I've seen all your go team. Yeah. I'm in 10th inning. No yep, problem. Yep. Exactly. It's still yeah. under three hours. Yep, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, so that's going to wrap it up for baseball. And we're going to move on to the NBA. And this is the first time that I think we've talked about the Knicks on this show, about them, you know, making a move. And uh, – they ended up, you know, on on, on Sunday acquiring Derrick Rose from the Detroit Pistons, and this is a move to build depth on this team. This is, and this just shows you, even though this team has lost two in a row, and I think they're right now. I think they're at. A, I'm going to check. I think they're at a, a 10, 11 and fifteen on the season right now. Currently, the number nine seed in the Eastern Conference. That still gets you in the playoffs, though. And uh, I think this team is a team that's that's competitive and wants to, and wants to, and, and is a team that wants, that's not going to trade off part parts. I think they want to compete and they want to and they want to compete in this postseason. Even though I don't think they have a chance in this postseason, I feel like this team wants to go into a winning direction instead of selling off players. And I think Rose adds depth to this team. I think he has depth to the point guard position with the Knicks need with uh, with Alfred because Al- Alfred Payton is a is very inconsistent. They need they need a guy behind him in Derrick Rose. Obviously, you got R.J. Barrett. You got obviously Julius Randle, Mitchell Robinson. And uh, Reggie Bullock. So I think this adds depth to this Nick team. And I think this Nick team, even though with, with 10 teams being in the playoffs, they have lost two in a row. I think this team has a shot to make the playoffs. I think Thibodeau's done a really good job. Leon Rose and, and Tom Thibodeau finally, finally, for Knicks fans, have this thing going in the right direction. Yeah, you know, they do. Again, you know, um, yeah, because Thibodeau loves to play those starters, you know, a ton of minutes. So you, you really need to get a bench depth, especially when you get to – 
you know, whenever they're in the regular season, right? Like April or May, whenever they plan on finishing the regular season and you're still in that playoff punt, you know, um, definitely gonna need some depth if you're fighting for a spot. I think, you know, even for the Knicks, I think the Knicks narrative too with this, I think they're, they're really trying to change, you know, the narrative of the Knicks. Like, okay, we're going to, we're going to try to be competitive. We're not going to try to be the laughing stock anymore, you know, and I think it helped when they brought Thibodeau in. I think it helps now with, now that you bring um, Derek Rosen, a guy that, you know, knows Tom Thibodeau really, really well. Um, again, I, I think it's starting to show the league, like, the Knicks are not going to be a laughing stock for too much longer. I, you know, I, I do, do think they're going in the right direction, which again, is a good thing when it's a New York team, because it brings a, you know, with all the fans that the Knicks have, you know, again, it, it would be nice to see the Knicks be competitive. Oh, absolutely. It'd be nice to get fans in the garden too, in the third out days. I, I think that, that I heard, say? Um, Andrew Cuomo said February 23rd. Sounds like sporting events and musicals um, at some capacity. Some capacity. Yeah. In New York. So, oh, nice. Yeah, nice, yeah nice. maybe next week, no, next couple weeks of the next. Oh, nice, 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 so, nice. Yeah, that'd be, that'd, that'd be nice to get some fans. Yeah, because I think this garden, because if RJ Barrett emerges, they I think they should keep Julius Randle. I don't think there's any way to trade Julius Randle. I think he should be a piece going forward. I think that uh, – I'm really excited for this Knicks team. I think, you know, get Thibodeau coaching in the garden, get this team, get this, this team playing competitively. It's a great place. Massive. You saw, you haven't seen it in, for probably in your lifetime. You probably haven't seen it, but in the nineties, when they had Patrick Ewing, when they had Alan Houston, Larry Johnson, even back at that 94 team with John Starks and uh, Anthony Mason uh, and Charles Oakley, that the garden is a great place for basketball. Back in the days when they played Michael Jordan and Reggie Miller, that was the place to be. That was the premier spot in the NBA to play basketball, Madison Square Garden. Yeah, I haven't seen the next one. I, you know, I've been there the Big East tournament when it's, you know. Oh, the um, Syracuse UConn games. That, that 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 place was rocking during those, yeah. I was at the Louisville one, when, uh, the five games, five days tournament. And then I was there, yeah, a few years ago when the UConn played Syracuse in like some tire pro classic. And yeah, it, basketball at the Garden is great. I love going there. It's like my favorite place to go. Um, hopefully in the Big East tournament now. Just thought about that. Hopefully a couple thousand. You don't know. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Ago, but yeah. Um, yeah, you know, when you get fans in the garden, that place is rocking. It's such an absolutely great atmosphere. And yeah, if that Knicks team starts to play well, that thing, you know, again, not going to be sold out. Can't sell out the garden completely yet. But, you know, a couple of thousand fans in there every night, I think would help the team out tremendously. I, again, I think, I think it'd be great for Knicks fans to get back in the garden watch a competitive team. I think it'd be great for them. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the Eastern Conference teams, that will, you know, Sixers will easily make it. Bucks will make it. Nets will make it. Uh, Pacers will make it. Uh, uh, Raptors are probably going to make it. I think the Heat eventually end up making it. So there'll be a couple spots left. It's really between, you know, I think it's going to be like the Hornets, uh, the Hawks, the Cavs, and the Knicks. It could be those, you know, four teams battling for those two final spots in the conference, or maybe three of those four teams get in. But it's, it's going to be a battle. And I think the Knicks, this move puts them in the conversation of making the playoffs. Oh, yeah, definitely. I I, I think it does. Um, Rose is the guy, too, that's been in the playoffs. He knows how to get you and, there. And you he's know? played for Tom Thibodeau, too. Yeah. Remember him in Chicago? And he was a superstar. Before he got hurt, all those injuries, he was a superstar. He was an MVP in 2011. He was an MVP for the Bulls in 2011. So it's kind of a reunion here between Derrick Rose and uh, Tom Thibodeau. Now, he's not close to the player he is there, no, but the mentorship, he's already been talking to the rookies, Obi Toppin. He's already been talking to Obi Toppin and all the young players. The, the mentoring he's been doing, I really, really like this move. 
Yeah, yeah, I do too. You know, because Toppin's been struggling, probably needs a little bit of support. Even like a guy like Quickly, he's really burst on the scene, but playing well. Again, you get you, you know, he's now he's in the same locker room with Derrick Rose. Again, it makes him even better now. So yeah, it's a, it's a great move by the Knicks, and you know, to get this guy as a guy, yeah, it's been there before, can help this team get there with a lot of kind of younger guys that you know had not haven't had a ton of experience in the playoffs. So yeah, this move only helps out the New York Knicks. Without question, absolutely, absolutely. We'll get to the other New York team. That's the Brooklyn Nets, and Kevin Durant was pulled for the game for on. Um, he actually started. The, he didn't start the game. Came into the game on Friday, but then got pulled from the game for being uh, associated with a close contact. Contact, and it's been it's been downhill for the Nets ever since. The Nets have lost their last two games to the uh, to the Sixers, and they lost the Pistons the other night. They play the Pacers tonight, but Dur- and Durant will miss that game too. But then they're set to play the Warriors on uh, Saturday, so. I think, you know, this net team, it's been weird this year. They really have never been in full. I mean, they've had Kyrie had his he, – he, he took some time off. They didn't have Hart. They obviously didn't have Hart, and now they don't have Durant. It's weird to judge this Nets team at 14 and 12, really have it not really being together uh, so far this year. Yeah, it has. Because, you know, we talked about a lot of people when they played the Clippers, all three of them. All three of them, you know, had 90 points, and they looked good. And, and the team, you know um, – you know, they kind of looked like something was – they were coming together. And, yeah, the, the news um, kind of broke that up pretty quickly on Friday night. So, it, it's tough. And, again, you know, I mentioned last week, you can't keep losing to these teams under 500. You know, I know you didn't have Durant last night, but it's a piss in the worst team in the league. Like, how do you lose that? That's, un, that's unacceptable. That's unacceptable. Yeah. That can't happen. Even without, down, even without Durant, you still have Harden and you got Kyrie. They, those two guys are better than any guy that the you know, the the uh, Pistons are putting on the floor last night. You know, look, you're still only third. You're three and a half. You're, you're three games back in second place still, and four and a half back of the Sixers, which I think will fall apart at some point. So it's like they still have a chance, obviously, for one seed. But yeah, you, those are the games you have to win because when you do play the Lakers and you do have to box your you know Celtics, you're not going to sweep them all. So you got to take advantage of, of you know the lesser competition and. They, they really have not done that very well. I don't know if they just eh, they just go out there and just, you know, I could play at 50% we probably beat these guys. Like, again, I don't know if that's been their mentality or what, but, um, again, something's got to change when they play the, play those teams. It's, you can't keep losing them. No, and the man, yeah, and they can't have this guy kind of mentality. I mean, I think they have to improve on their – I think they're the best team in the East because of their talent, but if their mentality is this way in the playoffs, in a playoff series against the Bucs or, 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 the, or the Celtics, they're going to lose. No, definitely, you know, or what about like they even get like a Knicks at an AT, like, oh, it's a Knicks, like, and we could come 50% and still probably beat these guys. Again, you can make that go six, seven games, and you, that could affect them down the line when you play a 76ers or a Bucks or a Celtics. It could affect them in the next series. So, yeah, I'm with you. The, if, you know, the mentality's got to change, and you got to take care of business, you know, when you, when you face a team, any 500, a team you should beat under 500. Yeah, the mentality's got to change that a lot. And, you know, uh, I don't, you know, again, is that a guy like Steve Nash, a coach, or is that a Harden or or Duran or Kyrie? Somebody, you know, I know Kyrie called out the team saying, you know, they've looked very average. So maybe that's the wake-up call they need right now. Yeah, it's not been great. What's up happening there? I mean, they got some, they got some big games coming up too. If you go look, if you go back to next to go to next week, uh, next Thursday they got at the Lakers, and then uh, next Sunday they got at the Clippers. They got a big road trip coming up: Suns, Lakers, Clippers, uh, coming up on their road trips. So that's a big road trip coming up next week. 
It is, and don't be like down to King. They've been playing better. They've won four in the last five. They they choked last. I know, I know. It's a it's, a, it's actually oh. a huge road trip because they got to play the Kings. Yeah, the Kings lost. Yeah, Kings lost last night to the they Sixers, and then they play and then they play that uh, Saturday night game against Golden State. Uh, Durant's return to Gold to, to Durant for faces his old team for the first time. So that'll be that'll be interesting. Yeah, so you know Golden State to be fired up. You know, uh, Steph Curry's gonna be looking to um, you know beat them on a. Saturday night. So yeah, it, that's not an easy road trip, you know. Um, they, they they better change things around right now because uh, that that that's a tough road. Clippers, um, you know, to Lakers too, right? Van Boy. So you know, with those four teams, you better uh, they they better show up ready to play. He's it, you know, again they could come back five hundred or maybe a game under, and it's you know, it, again they'll be fine, but. You know, you you do want to have like a top seed, which they should be able to do with all the talent that they have. They should not be settling for a three or four seed. Absolutely not, not not at all, not at all. They got, I think they got to be a one or or a two to see with the talent they have. Oh yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, there's there's no excuse to be a three or a four seed. Alrighty, we're gonna wrap the show talking about a little bit of UConn basketball, and UConn basketball is really struggling. I mean, losing three of their last four games, they've really, really started to struggle. They got two big games though this week with uh, at Providence today, and then they got uh, at Xavier on Saturday. So, starting with the with the Providence game, what are you looking for in this Providence game? What do you expect to happen in the Providence game? Because Providence is kind of is an under five hundred team, so I think this is a game. Even though it's on the road, if they want to be an NCAA tournament team, they got to win this game. Yeah, you know, it's hard. Both nights still a game time decision. Providence or any point guard, Jeremy um, Bynum, it's still a game time decision. You know, this is a game that does worry me, though. Nate Robinson, I think, is the best post player in the Big East. Um, he gets that ball at the block. He's not giving it up, and he's putting it up, and he's scoring. Um, he's averaging 18 points a game. They love beating it to him. They got two of the top five scores in the Big East with David Duke. The thing is, he's really been struggling a lot by him because – um. He's had to play more on ball, and he's not – he's much better off the ball, and he's only shooting like 30% since he's gone out. So, again, if if, if they don't have Jerry Vitam in the starting lineup, again, it does go to UConn's advantage. But the one thing I think for UConn that I'm – is we're seeing the younger guys – you know, Saturday I, t- I took away – all right, they played so bad the first 15 minutes, and they still had a chance to beat a top-of-the-tier Big East team. You know, I, I feel like they kind of are, but they also lost their best player from last year. They did, but so I think that, that they were pretty fifth, you know. Um, so again, right in the middle. Again, that's still that's still um a solid C and all team. And for me, Jackson, you know, Jackson was great, you know, coming off injury, he played well. Jalen Gabney looked like the, the Gabney we saw at the end of the regular season. And that's when they started winning last year was when Jalen Gabney took over that point guard spot. Um, and even Sonago, Sonago's last four games, he's been averaging like 12 points and five rebounds and he's shooting like um, 60% from the floor. Sonago has been better. He's going to have a big test today with Watson. He's got to stay out of foul trouble um, because I do not want Carlton on this guy. This guy will eat Carlton for breakfast. Um, I, I'm very scared if Carlton's got to try to guard this guy. Um, so we need Sonago. Um playing and um um so you know for me and he wants martin to the hurley wants martin to play more as a playmaker this week or this game because you know he's bad he can do he's a all, very solid all-around player um 
So that's kind of what I'm looking for. The, the younger guys, just to keep stepping up, you know, they're getting better. Again, if they can just keep playing games, I think, you know, things will get better. Hopefully, Boat Knight is back because they just, you know, this is the last thing. They don't have guys that can create the, for, for themselves. They don't have those pieces. And Boat Knight's your one big guy. I thought Gatney did pretty well at it. I think Jackson's going to be good at it. But other than that, they just don't have guys that can create for themselves. And that was the big issue Saturday. Absolutely, absolutely. What do you see in the Xavier game? Uh, do, do, what do you see? Because we know Xavier's a better team and a team they were lucky they didn't play earlier in the year. What do you see in that game? What are the differences between – what's going to be different between that game and the Providence game? Um, You know, this one's going to be a bit different. You know, Xavier's been like UConn. They've had so many issues with COVID. They've only played 13 games yeah. as well. Oh, they've really? Wow. Three, they've only played three games since – um. Um, December 30th, like they, they got on um, postponed um, tomorrow night to Paul this. So um, for contact, I think, or they had another contact issue tracing. Control. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So again, Saturday's game, I don't even, you know, still on at the moment, but again, I wouldn't be shocked Thursday, Friday, they cancel it again. So um, for them, it's kind of been, cause they look great against um, Oklahoma. They beat Oklahoma by 22. They looked outstanding, but since, they're 11-2. They haven't, um, you know, but it's like they they just can't get a rhythm either. So it's kind of a, a weird team. Um, Zach Fremantle has been their best player. They're really solid defensively. Um, they're a team. They're really good at sharing the ball, like top five in assists per game. They're really great at that. Their field goal percentage uh, defensively, one of the best. Like they're they're allowing like 40%. So they're they're really good defensively. I love their slow, you know, their defense, they, um, they do this things called kills. So if you, if you stop an opponent for three straight possession, that counts as a kill. I think their record's like 13. I, I actually like it. Oh, nice. I, I love the mentality that they have on defense. Um, Paul scrubs it back to that point guard that played last year. Again, this is Xavier team. They should have beat last year in that tournament. They lost some pieces. They have like Nate Johnson's a Gardner Webb transfer who you played in the tournament for Gardner Webb, Jason Carter's from Ohio. Like they, you know, they have some transfer pieces and, you know, a little bit younger. I thought, I think I had them um, seventh in my Big East poll, but it's just another tough team to tell. They really haven't, they, they um, play creative. That's about it. They haven't played Nova, you know, um, so it's kind of been a tough team to tell. I haven't, you know, I've seen some of them, but again, I haven't seen a ton of them because they're like UConn. They don't, they haven't played. No, that's the thing. So what do you think they're going to go this this week in these two games? I got them splitting. I got them winning tonight and then losing to Xavier. Yeah. Depending on Bo Knight. But if Bo Knight comes back, I say 2-0. and oh. If he doesn't come back, 1-1. One and one. Yeah, I'll go. I'll be with you. I got 1-1 one and one if no Bo Knight. I got them winning today. I got them losing Saturday. Um, if they don't have Bo Knight. Yeah, Bo Knight's in. I think they do get – they do win both games. Um, especially Xavier hasn't – it's going to be another um, – they they haven't played since um, January 30th, so it's going to be another week. Before that, it was three weeks. So again, I think either or they got to take advantage early because Xavier may not have their legs with them. You saw it last week, UConn. They got to be able to take advantage of that. They don't have their legs under them yet. Take advantage of that early, and I think if they can, they can do that. They should be able to beat Xavier. Yeah, we'll see what happens in those in those two games. UConn being right now one of the first four teams in in Joe Lenardi's bracket, and Joe Lenardi's uh, Joe Lenardi has them as one of the first four teams in. So they got to start winning games, and they, and they I think they 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 really they they 
at least got to go one and one and probably two and all this week. Yeah, two and all would be great, especially because Xavier's 11 and two. Um, I don't know what their net rating is. I can't even put on. Yeah, it would really help going two and all because you do go to Nova um, next Saturday. You got problems coming Tuesday night. Like these are four, win- you know, games that um, it would really, really boost the um, boost the resume here, you know, and hopefully just. Getting in the rhythm the next two weeks, I think, will really benefit, especially adding Boat Knight back. Again, I, I you know, I, I think when they get James Boat Knight back, I think they'll be fine. Again, I, I think they'll make the, I think they'll get in, um, you know, eventually, you know, I think they'll climb back up there. But yeah, they need Boat Knight back. But this is a big kind of three of the three of the four games two are on the road, so that even that helps your resume too. If you win those games, makes it look better. Absolutely, absolutely. But we got to talk a little bit about the game Monday night, and that was an interesting game between South Carolina and UConn. The number one team, South Carolina was number one, UConn was number two. You wish Gamble was back for a game like this because Gamble would have been going crazy for this game. And how about Paige Beckers? 32 points. The first player in the history of UConn women's basketball to score 30 points in three straight games. And, you're, and this is UConn. This is the UConn women. Yeah. This is the greatest, maybe one of the greatest teams in all of sports. A team with Rebecca Lobo, a team with, with Diana, Diana Taurasi, a team with Sue Bird, a team with Maya Moore, a team with Brianna Stewart. And this is the first player to do it as a freshman. That is just amazing. I'm telling you, this girl is is, is unreal. I mean, unreal. Uh, just, just, I think she scored like the last – the, the final like eight, four points of regulation and the final eight points of over the final four yeah. points of overtime and then that three pointer you see that three pointer hit off the back rim and went in unreal that's just not much to say about Paige Beckers I mean this is a special player for the UConn women yeah I you know I remember hearing her name like sophomore year of high school and I, I I've like been watching highlights of her like high school film like wow like this girl it just oh, she's just gonna be unfair this UConn team you know what Gino has. Um, yeah, you can already reserve a spot for her somewhere up in, you know, with her, with her number, you know, in the Husky of Honor, you know, just unbelievable. I don't know. Did you see that layup? Um, too, she got hammered yeah. and she they yeah. threw it off. It, it's only called like a whole hard on glue choppers moment. It, yeah. it seemed yeah. like it yeah. was like, yeah. Um, I remember the Tennessee game. She was two for 13 most of that game. Then she All hit the big sudden, three in that game. Yeah. With like a second left on the shot clock, like just, you know, like. I, I just haven't never seen a, a freshman like have this much composure too. Like, you know, down like you know, the Tennessee game too, still finding her teammate. She wasn't panicking. She just she was under control. Like, like again, she just she's 18 years old too. And the next four or five years, it's just she's just gonna be an unbelievable player. You know, uh, you know, with all the grace that they've had, she's she's gonna be the next one. She's been unbelievable. She's. I, I think yeah, she's you know one of the final four points. Um, you know they don't have a great great like shooters. She's kind of inconsistent, but um, um actually breaking news: Boat James Boat Knight's out today. So now I'm I'm very okay. So, okay, okay, he's out again. Okay, yeah, yeah. <sighs> unfortunate because he's wanted to play Saturday. Um, but yeah, it, she's just oh, I just I don't know how to. I just haven't seen a freshman put a team on her on a back on her back like that and just be able to win yeah it's amazing and she's going to be there for the next three years this is women's basketball people don't people don't graduate early they get their degree so she's going to be there for the next three years so it's scary to see how good she's going to be when she's a senior yeah or she's got the extra year too so if she wants her master's she can say another <laughs> you could be <laughs> she's not staying past her senior year though that's that's oh. it senior year and that'll be it 
who knows? Yeah, no, but who knows? It's just she's she's gonna be incredible. She does just does everything so well. Um, and then they added her best friend, Ozzy Feuds, like number one prospect for next year. They grew up in Maryland together, like best friend. She's coming oh, wow, too. She, oh, wow. She's supposed oh, to be wow. nasty as well. So oh, they wow. have one of the girls from next class on the roster. So uh, it, it's it's team the next few years. It's gonna have a very very nice yeah. run. Yeah, they should break their national championship drought. It's been since 2016, yeah. so they've won a national championship, and for that team, that is a very long time. Yeah. It is. And he actually broke another drought on uh, Monday night. That was their first, Geno's first win in OT since like 2004. Oh, wow. 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 And they played. I mean, he's he has, he has needed to have overtime for a while. So, not more, but, you know, no. <laughs> yeah, the yeah, only two yeah, I yeah. remember are those two Notre Dame games in the Final Four. That's really all I ever, yeah. you know, I can recall. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and they lost them both, I think. Yeah. They did. They yeah. lost them both. Yeah. Because they always lose to Notre Dame in the Final Four. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The two, uh, what's her name? U- Ukawala. Threes or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so Gina got that one, but yeah, this and she's she's special. Oh, she is absolutely, absolutely. But that's gonna wrap it up this week on Sports Talk with R and J for Jace Garcia, our producer, did a great job. And for Justin Anafrio, I'm Steve Risser. We'll be back next week, hopefully, talking about what team Carson Wentz got traded to. Have a great weekend, everyone. Clovercrest Media Group presents a CMG podcast. Keys yeah. to the city. I crossed up by Colby, well, floated to Shaq, and then Shaq goes like this, and the rest is history. Pay attention. Don't tell me what to do, devil woman. But Speaking of those Lakers. But I, but I, hold on, fun. But I didn't make my I didn't make my I said Denver's going to win. Yeah, you did. You said that. There's no other show like that. Clover Crest is doing great things right now. Streaming everywhere.